Glad to have you all here today. I want to encourage you to turn to Romans chapter 1, verses 18 to 32 today. And you may be wondering why we're stepping away from our series on 1 Samuel today. And the answer, as Dave Langley alluded to earlier, is that the church in America has been asked to preach on sexual immorality today as a way of showing solidarity with our sister churches in Canada. You may not know fully what's been going on up there, but there was a recent passage, in fact, this past week, of Canadian Bill C-4, and it is now a crime in Canada to seek to convert, counsel, or move a person from perverse sexual expressions Desires or identity back to what Christianity proclaims is sexually moral. So the content of the bill is intended towards all of those who take a biblical position with regard to what is sexually moral and try to counsel that as a right expression of sexuality. And so this bill, like I said, which became law last week, will almost certainly be interpreted to say that it's illegal for counselors and pastors to to talk about and preach against homosexuality, transgenderism, and other perversions, making them subject to up to five years of prison time. And as we'll see from our passage, to criminalize speaking against sexual immorality is to criminalize proclaiming the gospel. It's exactly what the Sanhedrin once told the apostles. And you may remember Peter's words as recorded in the book of Acts. We must obey God rather than man. So please stand as we read God's word in Romans chapter 1, starting with verse 18. The wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Therefore God gave them up in the lusts of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creator rather than the, crea- the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen, says Paul. For this reason, God gave them up to dishonorable passions. For their women exchanged natural relations for those that are contrary to nature. And the men likewise gave up natural relations with women and were consumed with passion for one another. Men committing shameless acts with men and receiving in themselves the due penalty for their error. And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. They were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They are gossips, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. 
though they know God's righteous decree that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them, but give approval to those who practice them. Let's pray. Father, you are the mighty God. And your invisible attributes, as we see in this passage, are clearly seen since the creation of the world and the things that you have made. We are without excuse. And so I pray, Lord, that you would help us to understand our obligation as the creature, our obligation as the one who serves the holy God of this universe, the one especially as the church that is called upon to proclaim the good news and the gospel. Lord, have mercy on us. Have mercy on our nation and our world. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Verse 18 says that the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. And that word suppress in Greek means to hold down and restrain. As an example, I think of our kids every summer in the pool, and there's always some inflatable object in the water, an inner tube, a ball, a swim noodle, and inevitably it becomes a game to see who can hold them down under the water. And it takes effort to keep an inner tube under the surface where it wants to float. And Paul says that men are doing the very same thing to the truth. They are suppressing it and holding it down, the very truth that verse 20 says is clearly perceived. You may be wondering, how can something be clearly seen, especially when we're talking about the invisible attributes of God? And the answer is that God created us to worship him. He gave us the ability to perceive and recognize that in what he has made, there is an order that speaks of a creator. Don't think intelligent design, because intelligent design is the world's next step offer to get away from and step away from the intelligent creator. God has created the universe, and he created us to recognize that fact. And verse 19 says, for what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. And that verse is talking about lost men and women. Talking about all of us. When we were ourselves lost, that means that when God created men and when he created women, he created them to be a people who saw truth, who responded to that truth with worship. He created them to be a people of faith. So what happened? Sin happened. And it is unrighteousness, as Paul talks about. It is our sin nature that causes us to press down, hold back, and restrain, reject that which is plainly evident, that which is the truth. And so they look at, men and women do, these billions of stars and the complexity and order of nature. They see the evidence of God's work plainly before them. And what's more, they acknowledge, says Paul, the truth internally. And yet, as that truth tries to rise up, 
seep out through hardened hearts like an inflated inner tube trying to break the surface of the water. These same men and women suppress and press that truth back down again. And Paul says the exchange truth with a lie. Can you picture what I'm saying? I think again about Caleb and Hope pressing down with all their body weight on that inner tube. And sometimes... You know, you, you watch them in the pool and sometimes the side you know, starts coming up or sometimes comes up behind them and it, and it knocks them into the water, right? Pops them right over to the side. And then they jump back out of the water on top of that inner tube again and start trying to press. It's a, it's a game for them, but it is a deadly business for lost men and women. And all of that may seem to be a simple point, but the implications are not simple at all. You see, most of the time we hear that truth removes the power of sin. When people say that, what they're saying is that a person is is convicted by sin, believes in God as a result, and then God responds to that belief by breaking the power of sin in that person's life. You can think of it like a drowning person who suddenly realizes that they're drowning and calls out for help, but Romans 1 suggests exactly the opposite. It tells us that faith doesn't remove the power of sin, but rather that sin suppresses the natural response of faith. I'll let that sink in for a second. Do you realize that if that's true, which is what Paul is saying in Romans 1, that for someone to become, again, a person of faith as he or she was created to be naturally, that God has to break first the power of sin before that person will even understand and then act in faith. God has to perform heart surgery so that we stop our rebellion. You see, if we were the drowning swimmer, God would not be describing us in Romans 1 as actively pressing down the truth. He would not describe us as lying to ourselves and doing everything we can to run from what we plainly see. He would describe us instead as being ignorant or helpless. The solution would then be to gain knowledge about our situation and then reach out to him for help. But Romans 1 says that the problem is not about understanding the truth. It's about fighting against the truth and exchanging it for a lie. That's the problem. And this has some important applications. For example, if if God is needing to change a person's heart before they will even believe, then actually we have great confidence in something like evangelism. Because if the issue is not about knowledge and understanding, then we don't have to have the perfect words to say. We don't have to have all of the right tracks that that will provide that person with that storehouse of knowledge that suddenly makes them realize that they're drowning. Instead, what we have to do is be obedient and proclaim the gospel, praying that the Holy Spirit is going to change that person's heart. And if that happens, 
If heart surgery takes place, then we know that that person will respond in faith. Why? Because that is what God created them to do. They have spent their life holding down the truth, having their hearts darkened and hardened. And if God in his mercy changes their heart, there's no more actions to suppress the truth. It all comes out. And you know what has happened when you have, in your own life, heard the word of God. Maybe it was someone was speaking it to you. Maybe it was in a sermon, whatever it was. But you, you know those times that as you heard the word of God, that your heart leapt a bit at the fact that you were, you were hearing not the words of men, but but the very powerful word of God. And you knew in your soul that this is truth. And that is how God created you to be, to be in fellowship with him, to be perceptive of his activity, to respond to his word. But when sin enslaves a person and motivates them, to suppress that natural response, what happens is an unnatural pressure begins to mount. It's again like that inner tube in the pool. And because we are created to acknowledge and worship our God and not to be lying to ourselves, not to be exchanging truth with a lie, we find ourselves psychologically and physically unhealthy. And the more our reason and conscience are acknowledging the truth here, whereas our, you know, through our hearts we want to press down to reject God's existence, how else could we explain the full range of psychological and spiritual disorders? It is true there are many times, clearly, there are many times that these disorders are the result of, of external circumstance or even biochemical processes, but I will, I will tell you my belief is that the number one cause of psychological disorder is this unnatural tension amongst the human population that is enslaved by sin. And as we look again at verses 21 through 23, although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking. We can see what's happening now as this, this un, as I described it, this unnatural tension, this, this continuation of a rebellion, a rejection of God, the suppressing of truth. They become futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts are darkened. They claim to be wise, but they become fools, and they exchange the glory of the immortal God for all of these other things. And so verse 18 speaks of the wrath of God being revealed from heaven. It is a wrath against sin that is seen in, at first in the, the banishment of Adam and Eve from Eden, it was experienced in the worldwide flood, in the destruction of various cities. It is still experienced by the whole creation, which Paul describes in chapter 8 of Romans as groaning under the weight of the curse. 
But above all, the wrath of God was revealed from heaven when the Son of God suffered in our place on the cross. What is the most horrific truth that men and women must press down? It is that God, who clearly does exist, who clearly is holy and wrathful against sin, will judge. He will judge those who rebel against him, who try to exalt themselves in this place. And so what do men and women do about that horrific reality? Paul tells us that they lie to themselves and substitute created things for the creator. And he says, that's the ultimate foolishness. In verse 22, he says that the unrighteous and continuing to lie to themselves become fools. And that doesn't just mean that they become ignorant The word in Greek for fool is more actually about a moral foolishness than it is about making silly decisions or acting strangely. Fool was such a bad term that Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount says, whoever says to his brother, rakah shall be in danger of the council, but whoever says you fool shall be in danger of hell. You don't want to be a fool and you don't want to flippantly call other people fools. Verses 26 to 32 describe what takes place next. God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. And then we, we see that whole list of things. And then this ominous statement, though they know God's righteous decree. Do you hear again that plain knowledge, that clear understanding, though they know God's righteous decree that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them, but they approve of those who practice them. We often think of atheists as people who don't believe that God exists on the basis of evidence, and that's why many Christians study apologetics with the hope of knowing Again, the right argument or point that will make a difference. But Romans 1 tells us that a lack of evidence is not the problem. Remember what we were talking about earlier. The real problem of unbelief is not a lack of knowledge. It is rebellion against truth. And so what an atheist truly is is a person who lies to himself and runs from God. And you'll... See Paul's words in verse 28. Men and women do not want to acknowledge God. They don't want to. The New King James Version says that they do not like to retain God in their knowledge. They prefer a God of their own imagining. And so they they practice sin because God has given them over to a debased mind, but in order to surround them, if you will, to justify their behavior, they approve of those who practice the same sin. And that is where men and women have reached the lowest point of depravity, where they heartily applaud those who give themselves to sin. And it so aptly describes America. Where millions watch on their computers and televisions and phones, sexual immorality and violence, applauding what they see. We can see it in nearly every television series these days, every new movie to cater in some way 
to homosexuality and the gender non-binary? Can we not see it in the justification of killing thousands of unborn babies every year? All as a way to allow for the continuation and justification of immorality. And Americans applaud the very sins that Paul lists. And not only do they applaud, but they approve of these sins in public policies and laws. In other words, the average American is at the bottom of this slippery slide into sin that Paul describes in chapter 1. Suppression of truth, then darkened mind, then becoming a fool, then being given up to the lusts of the heart and various sexual sins, then homosexuality, and finally giving public approval to sin as being normal and right. God help this nation. And the next step is what we see happening in Canada, where not only is sexual perversion approved and called normal, but it becomes a crime to speak against that. That is the ultimate suppression of truth. Get rid of everything and everyone who would remind the lost of what the God requires. So what do we do with Romans 1? Here are a few challenges to think about. First, God sometimes gives people over to depravity because when darkness prevails and corruption is widespread, he is shown glorious in mercy by saving people when they least deserve it. As Isaiah says, the people walking in darkness have seen a great light on those living in the land of the shadow of death. Second, we must be vigilant in the face of this increasing boldness of the enemy in our time. The devil has been at work for decades, centuries, really preparing for this day. Why do you think everything seemed to fall apart all at the same time in a very short amount of time? We had the dismantling of marriage, of sexuality, of the family and gender. The devil has been laying the groundwork for generations primarily through education and culture. And we would be tempted to give up, but for our faith and hope in the power of God. Our country, just like Canada or any other country, needs the gospel more than ever. To criminalize speaking the truth is just a bigger pushing down of that inner tube under the water. The only way to break the pattern is to have God change the heart through the preaching of the good news of the gospel of peace. We cannot grow complacent. We must continue to make the message of the gospel as clear as we possibly can by our testimony, by our lives, and by the joy and the peace of heaven in our hearts. We cannot grow weary or complacent in that task, but we must pray that God will make that effective as he changes hearts. And last, Romans 1 still applies to us as believers. Sin has a debilitating effect on a person, and it can lead to the same type of problems for believers on a small scale that we see in a larger, more global scale in the lost. Some folks still do struggle with 
anger and being undisciplined, lack of self-control, and the many other things that hoping to grow on and in as a believer. And it may be that there are unresolved issues of disobedience or sin. But I want to exhort all of you men and women to take a stand against sexual immorality. In Titus 2.10, Paul says, Speak the things which are proper for sound doctrine, that they, the people that you are speaking to, but also including us, the ones who are speaking, may adorn the doctrine of God, our Savior, in all things. And I like that phrase, this, this idea of adorning the doctrine of God. We are to champion not only the teaching and the speaking of sound doctrine, but we are to wear it. Every day you put on the clothes of what you believe. If you live a sinful, wicked life like that described in Romans 1, your clothes reek of immorality and blasphemy, but if you live a godly life, your clothes are the exact opposite. And many of you are dressed so nicely today. And a lot of that is because we are trying to reflect a a reverent attitude when you come to church. Some of you are thinking through that and doing that. But does the physical wardrobe match our spiritual one? Is our spiritual adornment less fine? I will tell you that I believe the world is far more sensitive to our spiritual wardrobe than they are to our physical wardrobe. And we should be speaking truth not only in our speaking of the word of God, but also in our living out of truth. And if this is chosen by Paul as being kind of the, his chosen illustration, it's not just here in Romans, it's throughout his writings, Christ often goes to sexual immorality as as kind of the height of the perversity of the sin nature working itself in man. If this is where the spiritual war is currently at its hottest point in our culture, we must, must make this important. We already must because God has commanded us to live a pure life to flee from youthful lusts and more. But the world wants you to be a hypocrite. The world wants to undercut your ability to speak the truth because they want further justification for their suppression of the truth. Men and women don't want to see God transform your life because it it serves as a rebuke and an admonishment. Why else would Canada be passing a law criminalizing what they're calling conversion therapy? Peter writes in 1 Peter 2.11, Beloved, I urge you as aliens and strangers to abstain from fleshly lusts. Why? He continues, Keep your behavior excellent among the pagans, so that in the thing in which they slander you as evildoers, they may on account of your good deeds as they observe them, Glorify God on the day of visitation. You see, it is, yes, about obeying God, but it's about so much more. It is about living a testimony.
According to 2 Corinthians 5.15, our goal in life is to no longer live for ourselves, but for him who died for us and was raised again so that we might be ambassadors for his kingdom. And as Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5.16, so from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. It's always from a kingdom point of view. That's the ideal. And so I encourage you to make this battleground important. Confess sinful desire. View your life and other people through the filter of God's word. Do not regard other people through a worldly point of view, but as kingdom citizens, as children, sons and daughters of God. Pray for the sanctifying power of the Holy Spirit that you might live a life adorned in the sound doctrine of the gospel. Do not compromise the work of God and his kingdom by allowing the enemy a foothold into your life, into your marriage. Let us be ruthless about this. Be in prayer in the days to come for our brothers and sisters in Canada. They've already been suffering a hard time by trying to be faithful and continuing to proclaim the word, even despite some very restrictive and severe mandates over this last year and a half. But this, this is a whole new ballgame. England and some of the European nations are already saying that they may adopt a similar uh, position. And who knows what's next for our own nation. So let us be a people in prayer because I think the battle lines are becoming clearer and clearer every day, every week, every month. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your great love for us and the fact that you, you've always called us to obedience. But Lord, it is so clear in these days that we must be, we must be a people of faith and truth. Lord, I ask for your word to be done in our lives, help us to adorn ourselves in the sound doctrine of the faith. Lord, help us to turn away ourselves from sexual immorality, that we might be ones who are not hypocrites, that we might not compromise our testimony. And Lord, I pray for our world. I pray for your work in the hearts of men and women who are out there suppressing even now the truth of your existence, who are looking for every excuse, publicly approving of that which is sinful in order to continue in a life of rebellion. And I pray, Lord, that you would break that. Change their hearts that they might respond as you created them to respond, to respond in faith and worship. It's in Jesus' name I pray these things. Amen.